Welcome to the Dallas Space Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Louder. Innovation comes in so many forms in so many different ways. We believe this entire Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is covered with people innovating. We designed this podcast to highlight the innovative things those business leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, problem solvers, the real innovators are doing day in, day out. As always, this show is brought to you by my company, Louderco. We find companies' profits through artificial intelligence and better operations. Like when we helped a massive Fortune 500 company build out their AI strategy to create breakthrough new food and beverage categories. Or when we redesigned the operations of a $100 million services company to add $10 million in net profit to their bottom line. To learn more about us, head to our website, louderco.com. Be sure to download free guides and presentations like our Intro to Artificial Intelligence presentation, or see if your company's even ready for AI through our AI readiness assessment tool. We're about to get the show started. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribed and left us a review. And now, enjoy our guests and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Dallas Space Innovators Podcast. I'm Andrew Louder, your host. I'm incredibly excited to have our latest guest on the show. I have Rachel Kerr. She is founder of a product that I'm really excited about. Um, she's allowed me to be part of her journey and kind of following along on the things that she's doing with, with it. It's called Productible, and um, it's an innovation outcomes management platform. It helps managing your pipeline and experimentation process. So for all you innovators out there, I think this is going to be a product that you'll, you'll need to dive into. Also, she's uh, worked for Mark Cuban Companies. And as a Mark Cuban fan, a Shark Tank fan, I've always wanted to get some behind the scenes on the Mark Cuban Companies and what it's like to work there. So I'm really excited to pick her brain here today. So Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So I like to kick things off by just letting the guests spend a good minute or two talking about themselves. So, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, some key things along your, your life, some accomplishments, maybe, you know, things that, that excite you. Let's tell us a little bit more about yourself here. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I grew up really wanting to be an inventor, so I became an engineer and um, at University of Texas and quickly found that I was in uh, trying to launch all of these products, but they all ended in political battles. So the uh. most, <laughs> yeah, the most annoying one to me, perhaps some people can relate is I found a $500 way to solve a $10 million problem at the company I was at and it kept happening over and over again. And I couldn't get executives to buy into the idea of spending the $500 to make it go away. And so from there, I was just, I had built, tried building all these different products and they're just not making it to market. So being the giant uh, nerd that I am, I thought the answer was going to be in the science. So I became an innovation science researcher and um, wow. studied, uh, worked in Singapore for a couple years with MIT and built innovation analytics models around predicting success. And we found a lot of really great relationships, but not a lot of really great data around success. So um, 
moved on to New York, worked for a startup there from a bunch of ex-innovation consultants thinking, oh, maybe they'll have all the answers of how to succeed at innovation and get past these Mm. politics and these challenges. And still, you know, found typical challenges of most things not succeeding. So I was watching a bunch of Shark Tank and saw that Mark Cuban had all of these Shark Tank companies that were on his show. And, you know, you see the show, it's success, success, success all the time. Right. And so, <coughs> so I was like, you know, maybe this guy knows what's going on. So uh, I called, emailed Mark Cuban and said, hey, what if you had an innovation person helping you um, with all of your different companies and helping them launch more products? Shockingly, he took me up on it. So Amazing. I was like, yeah. So I was like, all right, maybe this is finally my chance of getting a product to market and not having to deal with, you know, politics and all these things that normally happen. So Mark, so excited to be here. I'm ready to launch this product. We're going to do it. He says, great, go launch 20. And Whoa, I had a good- that's cool. <laughs> so what really happened was we, you know, I had this, this awesome team that we all worked together, but, um, we had to figure out how to help so many companies at a time. And it turned out that this was actually the really big secret that I had been missing. Um, in sales and in marketing, you essentially always manage things through a pipeline. You always manage lots of opportunities because you would never expect all of your sales leads to become closed deals. You would never expect everyone who looks at an ad to engage with it. Um, or in venture capital, you would never expect every single startup you invest in to become a unicorn. But for some reason, when we do these really challenging innovation projects, we expect every single one to succeed. And actually, 86% of the US uh, treats innovation like day-to-day operations, expecting every single one to succeed, but really only 6% does. So yeah, so we had to figure out how to manage uh, innovation like a pipeline. So we started to operationalize it and optimize so that um, we could actually spit out lots of experiments and lots of projects at once. And we got it down to this really tight process that made it um, so that we could get a lot more work done faster. It's like, Mark, this is really cool. So we should, you know, we should make this a company and we should do something with it. And he said, you know, this is really interesting, but uh, startups are terrible customers. So no, um, but you should take it to corporations. So um, I decided I didn't know much about that. So I became a corporate innovation uh, consultant for the last two years in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. And after working with lots of different clients, we essentially, you know, got some really great results with our clients, and we got it down to a digital product. And the last uh, 10 months or so I've launched separately as productible and built it into a software tool. Man, that, that's one of the coolest stories. One of the coolest uh, intro bios I think I've heard on the show yet. With all due oh. respect to everybody else, uh, no, that was really cool. I think um, hearing kind of your path to through kind of innovation, science, research, it's like, man, that sounds so. I, I would find that to be a lot of fun. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, Okay, so before we go too far into Productible, your Mark Cuban company's experiences, I'd love to give a shout out to um, Emery Skulkin. He is who introduced us and put us in, in contact. Um, you know, great guy. I'd love to have Emery on the show one day as well so we can talk shop, but um, that, that's how we met. So I, I always love to honor the folks that, that connected us. Um, so tell us a little bit more. Where are you from? You mentioned you've you've been out, you were out in the Bay Area for a little bit. Um, 
you, you share with me a story about moving back to Dallas. Um, but now tell, you know, where are you from and uh, what are your thoughts on, on Dallas? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So um, from the Plano Richardson area, I went to J.J. Pierce okay. High School and um, I'm back here. I tend to always move back here is the way that it works. It's like uh, okay. somewhere new and it always ends up back in Dallas. And, um, you know, what I think is really exciting about this city is that um, it's got a really unique sense of like lots of different skill sets and um, it's, it's really affordable here. So it's, it's like an easy place to, to try new things. I think the hard part is because it's such an easy place, it's sometimes hard to have that impetus to want to innovate. And so um, I'm actually really curious now with COVID and all these new um, economic challenges to see what happens to Dallas if, if we finally get that push for people to, to try new things and, and be a little bit bolder than they had in the past. Yeah, definitely. And as an outsider, so I've, I've only been to Silicon Valley as a tourist. <laughs> yeah, I, I drove around. I, I saw uh, you know the garage where Apple started. I went to Apple headquarters. I did the whole kind of visitor center thing. I'm a, and uh, I don't know how many people really do that. But um, what's the vibe like? I mean, you were just in it, right? And now you're out of it. Like, what? What's that like? Truly, like, what's it like to to live in and breathe Silicon Valley? It's it's fascinating in the sense yeah. everyone's building new things. Everyone's got a, a mission and everyone's got something they're building and that they're passionate about. And um, here sometimes it can be hard to find those people or, you know, everyone knows everyone who's on a mission, if you will, and, and building their company. But it's, you would be hard pressed to find people who aren't in San Francisco. And in fact, there's people who, uh, my, my fiance, for example, he doesn't have a startup. And so we go to these parties and he, he would be frustrated that nobody was excited to hear about what he was up to because he wasn't starting a company. And so it's just, everyone's used to the pain of how hard it is and the challenges around it and how much you fail and it's all okay there. So it's really just a place where you can um, put it all out there. And if it doesn't work out, nobody's judging you for it. And you gave it a shot. Very cool. Uh, the good news is, you know, the, the Dallas entrepreneurship scene has really elevated here just in the last few years. Um, you know, we're getting there. We're not quite Silicon Valley. You know, I don't even think we're quite at Austin, but uh, you know, we're, there's a lot of great talent here. I think there's a, a growing ecosystem. So I think you're entering the the Dallas scene in a good time, especially for productible. I mean, for sure. So most people in San Francisco would tell you that, or not a lot of people, maybe I should say, would tell you that it, the city's mm -hmm. hit a tipping point. Um, it's so mm -hmm. expensive to live there. You can't really actually try as much as you want to be an entrepreneur there. It's so expensive that your burn rate is so high that you have very, very little chance for something to succeed. And you need a little bit more comfort room to really be able to give something a shot. And especially with all of these tech companies going remote now, um, you know, Facebook announced Twitter, all of these really large companies are remote, and they can get talent from anywhere. I just, I think there's going to be a huge systematic change. And I believe Dallas was one of the top cities to live in to remote, like all these places are saying oh, great. that. And so I think there's going to be, yeah, some really major changes over the next couple of years. Very cool. 
So um, let's dig into a little bit, if you don't mind, kind of the experience there at, and working for Mark Cuban companies. Um, again, this is, it just intrigues me. I've, for, I've seen obviously Shark Tank, he's got all the companies and everything. How much goes, how much of it is like the team or his team, his, his employees kind of running or advising those companies? How much is it him? And, and what's that whole model like working there? Sure. Well, so first off, he's super hands-on. Um, so it's, he's got this pretty cool model where if you're one of his startups, you send a weekly update. Now, granted, let me pause for a second. Yeah. This is all true as of when I worked there. He may have changed things. It might be totally different. Sure. Also, if you're one of Mark's companies listening now and you're new, it might be I might be completely wrong. But at least at the time, um, he had his weekly updates and every company was supposed to send him a weekly update. You sent it direct to him and uh, potentially depending on the things that you're working on, some of our team as well. And Mm -hmm. if you needed help with something, whether because you asked for the help or Mark sees a giant red flag on what you're doing and something really needs attention, um, whatever it is, good or bad that's when he would bring in our team to be able to help with those things. And so um, Mark was very much the person who saw the need and would drive the direction, but obviously he's got lots of things going on. And so uh, it's, it's really a team collaboration and making sure that uh, we're solving that problem together. So it could be anything around sales, marketing product, like literally anything from an AI company to a cookie company. And you just get all the requests in and, and you just work through it all together. It's, It's amazing. It was the best, hands down best learning experience I've had. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's, it's just a, almost a, an accelerator of different industries, you know, different problems, different leaders. I mean, it's just, I imagine it to be just like uh, every day different, right? Yeah. I think the biggest learning part for me was learning different personalities because I had been so entrenched in a very specific type of person who likes to work in innovation or engineers. And this is my first time at that point working with more of like sales and marketing and some different types of personalities that think differently. Um, Learning how to communicate uh, priorities and align on priorities was really, really interesting to like, you know, really think about the founder that you're talking to and how to relate to them Mm -hmm. and what they care about and figuring out how to work with each of them. And they were so night and day different. So it was, it was really cool. Yeah, that's cool. So you took a lot away from that experience. Do you find that, uh, I mean, that's just, uh, you're taking that and it's kind of a a launching point for you with Productable? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to dive into Productable itself. You know, when I was, when you first told me about it, I I just, as as an innovation I don't know, specialists or a fan of innovation. I, I loved the concept from the beginning, but tell us about Productable. Sure. So it works on a few different levels. Um, the big thing is most innovation fails, as I said before, and um, it can be really hard to, to drive innovation success for an organization. So what Productable lets people do is at the executive level, uh, executives can set how much resource they want to put into it Uh, innovation and what type of opportunity areas they care about and what type of outcomes they expect. 
all of that can be taken then into a pipeline where certain amounts of funding can be allocated to small, medium, and large size bets, where they can make clear decisions around what's expected for each bet size, what success rate is expected. And then at the lowest level, uh, to support those bets, at the innovator level, there's uh, experimental workflows from lean lean startup kind of tools, design thinking, any of these experimentation types of tools that can be used to fast track experiments and fast track all of these different types of bets so that you can quickly um, learn from all of the different ideas that you have and it guides you through that process. It guides you through finding the right team members and getting the right data and, and making good decisions. And then that all rolls back up to that manager and executive level so that the company can decide which projects to fund and which projects to kill and where to expand and contract different things. Very cool. So what what was it that was that spark that told you, okay, go go build this? You kind of mentioned the idea came around when you're with the Mark Cuban companies and all that, but a lot of people out there just struggle to 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 move on an idea. You know, what was it that got you going? I felt like I had found that missing piece that had made my career so hard before figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And it was, I, you know, something that used to take, like I said, it was the 100 hour work week to the 20 hour work week. And it was figuring out how to, when you're working on lots of ideas instead of one, um, you get so much less emotionally invested into that idea. And it's much more okay to experiment with it and, you know, throw it around a little bit more. So um, when we developed that model, I just found, I mean, I was like happier and more successful and life was easier. And it was just, I I know so many people in my space that have all of those same stresses and I just really wanted uh, to help them. And I wanted to help all of the, the, you know, world changing problems that can't be solved because we don't have a tool to make it easy to solve the world's most challenging problems. Got it. So what do you think will be like the ultimate um, use case out of this. Are you, are you who are your, who's kind of your target audience for productible at this point? So um, I would I'll give you a couple because the ultimate yeah. use case if it was if it was up and running to this the dream scale that we'd probably be in a few years from now. Um, you know, I'd imagine if if we were all dealing with coronavirus challenges, that Productible would be the tool that would say, how are we going to do events? And there could be tons of bets of different ways to help make it easier to run an event and make it safer. Or how are we going to do food delivery? How are we going to do all of these different things? And Productible would actually mm-hmm. be the tool that would allocate budget from the government or whoever the the leading agency was and actually let people prototype against ways to solve some of the big challenges we're having today. Um, but I would say it's really aimed towards any sort of large cup, uh, corporation, government agency, large group that's looking to turn around the way that they uh, currently do their work and transform their products and services. Very cool. So take us maybe a, a little bit deeper into the process. Okay. So uh, pretend I, I've got an idea that I want to run through Productible. Um, you know, let, let's pretend it is an idea that um, is a new delivery service here in the face of COVID. Um, I mean, what, where would I start with Productable? And take me kind of through the journey, if you will. Sure. So assuming that you maybe you work in a large organization that um, has that as yeah. one of their initiatives, that 
that could be one way it could start. There's there's a whole other way it could start too that I'd be excited about, but we we can start <laughs> save that for another no, let's day. Let's go there but, where you're going. Yeah. So let's say you're at a large company that's being affected by COVID and you need to change the way that uh, you're running things and you have an idea. So Productible would then let you apply to be a small bet. So let's say your idea would fit within the small bet requirements that they really care about um, how you're going to run live events and can you do something in person? And maybe you have some idea of some crazy mask and partition setup that's going to fix a lot of these problems and, and maybe make it doable. So then <clears throat> what Productible would do is you apply and then with the decision criteria, they can say, okay, uh, we want to make a small bet on you. You get X amount of dollars and resource and here's our recommended productible workshops to get you there. And so perhaps it recommends like a lean startup tool or some sort of rapid prototyping tool with some user testing. And so it will actually walk you through that guided process and from all of your results, uh, you'll get automated report outs and make it really easy for your executives to then see, okay, that's how it went. Um, you know, please iterate on it or, you know, kill it. No, thanks. Or yeah, go ahead and make a medium sized bet on it because it went pretty well. So uh, I'm also intrigued by, you know, I, I imagine when you're, when you're innovative, you tend to come up with a lot of ideas. I'm curious, like as you've been building Productible, do you come up with an idea, perhaps unrelated, and you run it through the model as well? Run it through <laughs> Productible just to kind of see what might come come out of it? Or, or uh, have you just been so focused on, on Productible? Yeah, not quite yet. You know what's so funny is I would say uh, I, I would have, and it, an old me would have done that. And I think what I've learned from starting a company and from working at Mark Cuban Company is how hard it is to get every single idea out that I know that even if I came up with a really cool idea, I just wouldn't have the energy of launching something against it today. So, I mean, the dream would be to be able to launch tons of people's ideas and build, uh, build off of productible. So, um, yeah, I've, I've had to be painfully focused (laughs) and not really. No, that's good. That's, that's a great reminder. Um, I mean, you're, you're here in the, in the throes of entrepreneurship, you know, what, what's been maybe the, the biggest uh, surprise or eye opener that you've, you've encountered or, or, you know, that maybe you can share with us? Yeah, um, I think there's this perception that, oh, I'll have an idea then I'm going to just like, go build a prototype and fundraise and get my pre-seed. And it just seems like, oh, I'll just do, you know, I'll get an accelerator program. And it just seems like a very linear process. But I think what I've learned uh, from myself and watching other people as well is it's actually, um, I'm trying to figure out how to explain it. There's, it's a, there's like a little bit of climbing in that first phase where you're zigzagging back and forth where like yeah. you'll get into some sort of pre-accelerator program and then you'll maybe get a little bit of help doing a prototype and then maybe that gets you into a better accelerator program, which gets you a mentor and they, they're there's kind of this wish to make it really sexy and glamorous that you just get through this pre-product phase like really easily. And and unless you have really great contacts and, you know, all of your dev team set up and just like incredible connections from building a team and the investors and all of those pieces put together that all these people are excited around your problem. It's just so hard to get all of those pieces together at the beginning that everybody spends a lot of time at that beginning phase. And I, and I just wish it was a little more 
accepted and like understood. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of pressure that you're like supposed to be done, if you will. <laughs> no, and what I have found is clearly everybody's journey is very different. Yeah, and um, you tell me kind of your your experience here, but I really do believe that a lot of times it just takes a lot of grit, you know, because it. I mean, you're you're put through the ringer so many times right like you you've you get told no a lot i'm sure you know i know i i have been and um it, it's it's kind of beat down after beat down after beat down but you just gotta pick yourself back up and keep going right i mean absolutely i'm, I'm laughing of how much um like agreeing with you because i mean anytime you're building something new one of a few things is going to happen. You have such a crazy idea. Nobody understands what you're talking about, which is yeah. that's a field that I've been in for a long time. It took me a really long time. And I'm still not sure if, you know, from the way I just described it, I'm sure there's lots of people still saying, I need to see what that is. Um, but that was the hardest part for me, where if you're coming from the other side and you invent something so simple, people are like, oh, is that really an invention? Is that really worth going after? And so if, if you actually find something in that sweet spot of people get it and people are like, Oh, that sounds worthwhile. It's actually, those are the things that don't even make it anyway. It almost takes like people not believing yeah. it to be able to get it anywhere, which is what people will tell you in Silicon Valley. They'll say, if people think you have a good idea and that they're, they're encouraging you for it, you're probably going the wrong direction. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So it's totally an uphill battle. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, that's interesting. So I, I kind of I tend to think those that are willing to to battle it out and and go the distance, you know, usually, I don't know. I'd like to think they get there, and there's a lot of people that just give up. They can't they can't handle it, and they fold and they go a new journey. But so all that to say, I commend you for you know battling the the good fight here, and uh, I've loved seeing all the steps you're taking with Productible and. Um, I'm anxious to see it, uh, you know, go, go to great new heights as you, as you keep building it up. Well, thanks so far building it. And so far, you know, going through the journey, it will be interesting to see, you know, what the next three to six months look like, because something I always tell everyone when I'm on calls and getting feedback is if, if this is a really bad idea and I'm missing something that's blatantly not going to make this work, like tell me now so I can work on the next one. Yeah. So, so far, I mean, I'm still out there going for this, but I think one of the hardest things is also realizing that you are not your idea and letting yourself have a little bit of separation between yourself and the idea. So if it doesn't work out and the market proves that it's not viable or that it doesn't make sense, like that's fine. And, and we'll on to the next, you know, so we'll see what the, the next three or six months look like, but, but hopefully it's, it keeps going. Cool. So then what, what is the the next thing you're focusing on for Productible at this point? So it's really just getting some early uh, pilot customers. So we have some, a couple of betas that we've started off with, with Stanford and uh, was actually our very first. And we have a small innovation consultancy that uh, we're just kicking off our beta with in a couple of weeks. And so really just getting a, maybe a potentially a couple of corporate innovation teams that we could be working with would be amazing to to get started. Yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. Congrats on all that early traction. It's really well, cool. thank you. 
So let's do this, Rachel. Let's switch gears and enter the lightning round. All right. <laughs> this is where the questions get a little bit more on like the fun, personal side of things. And uh, some are fast. You can answer them quick. Others we can dig in a little deeper. But uh, are you ready for the lightning round? Um, I think so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what do you wish you had known when you started on your career? Oh, great what question. Would you tell your Definitely. younger self? Yeah. I was so engineered-ish. I wish I uh, learned to care more about people's ways of working and learning different personalities and focusing on that more than the work itself. Interesting. You mentioned that earlier in, in the conversation. Um, what, what, how has that like resonated to you? Like, what have you learned from that or, you know, what's been your experience around that? I'm curious. Um, I used to think that getting the product right was going to be the way to solve the problem. And if we all just worked really hard, that we would make something great and that'd make it all work it, worth it. But really what you have to do is get a team that's aligned and empower everybody to do what they're really good at so that you can collaborate when the product doesn't work or when things aren't going right, you can work together. And I totally just had it backwards the first half of my career. <laughs> wow. That's, I'm, I'm glad you figured that out. I, the way you put it, it just sounds like so obvious, but I mean, you're right. It's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking it's the other way around, but uh, no, that's, that's a great takeaway. Engineer over here, you know, I went to engineering <laughs> school and I'll tell you like in engineering school, it's not about people at all. Everything is about learn how this screw is supposed to be put in, learn how uh, to do the equations so that these types of problems never happen. And it's all about just making sure that you're making everything work. So when you spend four years thinking about how things physically should work, people become very secondary and it's just a natural part of technical fields, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. It's kind of like the, the engineering stereotype, but we all, we won't dive into that much. <laughs> so who, um, who or what has influenced you along your way? Um, I would say it started off very much design people, people like David Kelly, uh, founder of IDEO is how I got into this whole field. And then I would say later on in my career, it started to be more towards sales and marketing, people like Mark Cuban. So um, yeah, it's definitely evolved from a design to a, a more sales and uh, entrepreneurial perspective. Got it. Is there anything you're learning about right now? And, uh, and what is it that, what is that? Yeah. So right now, literally right now would be building out splash pages and doing AB testing on marketing and positioning. So nice. I had not done, I mean, I've done a lot of this stuff at a high level, but the, not this level of detailed execution. So I'm really getting in the weeds of that right now. Very good. You know, I'm thinking, um, I'd love to introduce you to my friend, Erica Bryant. Uh, she's been a guest of the show. She's, um, uh, she's in marketing. She's great with messaging, um, the AB testing, that sort of thing. It might be a good conversation for you guys to have. Uh, what's your coffee of choice? Black with cinnamon. Okay. Pretty straightforward. Have you ever done it? No, can't say that I have. I used I'm to, to try it. Yeah, I used to need creamer and cinnamon totally just neutralizes it a little bit enough that you can just drink it black. It's yeah, it's a good deal. 
I like mine with uh, just a little bit of vanilla syrup. So it's black with vanilla syrup or hazelnut, whatever, whatever's moving me at the time. <laughs> That's probably my number two choice. That's good too. Okay. Uh, what about adult drink of choice? <laughs> um, I tend to like ciders or, well, actually it depends. When I was living in Austin, it was definitely beer, uh, different beers. But after coming from the Bay Area, I would say cabs. I'm just... We went to so many wineries and there were so many amazing uh, cabs that you could get everywhere that it was. Yeah, that's probably it. Now. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. When in San Francisco. <laughs> what are, are you reading any books right now? So I would say my favorite book that I've read recently on more of the engineer side, if you will, is The Right It. Yeah. And uh, it talks about how to prototype things before uh, going to market with them. So it's definitely one that I recommend for anyone who has an idea and wants to test it quickly without building it. Very cool. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. And uh, how about podcasts? Are you listening to any right now? Yeah, I love, um, I'm not sure how new this one is actually Robin hood snacks and Robin hood is a tech company out of the Bay area. And they just do these really quick bites of, I mean, it's the most San Francisco startup the podcast I've ever seen. So if you want to know what it feels like to live in San Francisco, they're only like Perfect. five or 10 minutes long and you can, they're fun to listen to. Okay. I'll check that out. And would you say you're a morning person or a night person? A night person for sure. Yeah. Just kind of get your second wind at night and keep going. For sure. But yeah, life constraints force me to be early, but yes, generally. And it's better. Actually, it's better now. That's one reason why Dallas is definitely better than the Bay Area, because dealing with all the East Coast people in San Francisco, before you know it, you're waking up at 6, 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. every morning trying to keep up with the calls. So, yeah, yeah. I've always wondered how, how that is. I could view that as a big challenge, but <laughs> I get used to that, right? Yeah, over there. But, you know, yeah. new life here. <laughs> What what are some routines that you've set for yourself or maybe a life hack or two you could share? I mean, I wish I I had the routines that I've been pretty good in the past about setting out. I'm really trying to get myself into it with, you know, COVID lifestyle, but I would say workouts right. and meal uh, workouts and meal prep. So I really try to work out uh, in general three, get at least three workouts in a week and making a huge amount of meals on Sundays makes it so that I don't have to worry about it the rest of the week. And it gives me, buys me a little more time uh, myself during the week. Awesome. I've always uh, found it fascinating when you see the articles online about like, um, you know, the, the routines of some celebrities or, you know, <laughs> CEOs, whatever. And it's always like, you know, wake up at 8 a.m., you know, do my meditation, go for a hike, make a big breakfast, take my kids to school. And then I'm at the office by eight 30. <laughs> <It's like, laughs> what? But, uh, yeah, I'm always fascinated by that. Okay. So, um, last one, and then you're off the lightning round hot seat. What do you look forward to the most each weekend? Actually going back to what you just said, I do like to try to take a hike every single weekend and the Bay area was amazing for that. Yeah. And so the funny thing is I've actually found a lot of really cool hikes in Dallas that I have been completely unexpected. So I've kept that tradition and um, really enjoy doing that. Good. Good. Well, Rachel, you're off the hot seat. Congratulations. <laughs> 
So we'll uh, we'll we'll bring the the interview here to a close, Rachel. But what's what's it like for a customer, a potential corporate client that wants to get to know you or Productible? How do they reach out to you? Sure, it's uh, you can just do my email. It's Rachel R A C H E L at B Productible. Um, I'm not sure if you have that written somewhere, but um, well. okay, great. So click on that on the link and I'm happy to, to chat with you or you can go to beproductible.com and uh, sign up for a demo or contact us there. Awesome. Rachel, can't thank you enough for making the time to be on the show here today. It's been a great conversation. Um, I don't know. I, I love chatting with you on innovation and everything you're doing. So uh, I love to invite you back on the show when, you know, productible is off and running. <laughs> well, really appreciate that, Andrew. It's been a pleasure uh, working with you also and really enjoyed our conversations. And this, this is a lot of fun. So thanks for having this show and this awesome podcast. This is, this is great. My pleasure. And thanks to our listeners for um, listening to the show. This is the Louder Co. Dallas Space Innovators podcast. I'm Andrew Louder signing out. That's our show for today. We hope you took away something valuable. Be sure to visit Louderco at louderco.com for more. Thank you again and stay tuned for more from Dallas-based innovators.